1: already in the comic game or a comedy nerd behind the bits is the show for you now let's get behind the bits
2: Hey, BTB buddies, I wanted to let you know that I have a Patreon page now so that you can support the show. Check out patreon.com forward slash btbpc and check out the cool stuff you can get for as little as two bucks per month. You can also find the link in the show notes. Thanks, as always, for listening. Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for listening to the podcast. Behind the Bits has a special live-streamed-only show coming up on July 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. I will be hosting my first and favorite guest, Tom Dreesen. We will be talking about his new book, Still Standing, and Tom will be telling some of the stories from the book in person. There will be some surprise guests, a live Q&A with Tom, and an autograph book giveaway. Tune into the Behind the Bits Facebook page or YouTube channel 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, July 30th to see Tom Dreesen, one of our country's most beloved comedians, live. Also check out his new book, Still Standing, available at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and booksellers everywhere. Thanks again for listening, and I hope to see you at the show. BTB Buddies, it's me, Scott, and I am here with Bill Normile today. How are you doing?
1: Very well, Scott, thank you for having me on. Great.
2: I uh, you know it's amazing doing this podcast, uh, the people that reach out to you and the people that uh, I get introduced to. Now, the funny thing is, is you had reached out to me uh, about talking with uh, John Poveromo, and uh, we were able to get that episode recorded. I think I did it either last week or the week before, and it hasn't gone up yet. But the funny thing is, is I, I do these interviews, and um, they either, after I listen back, they um, are either um, okay, um, mm-hmm. they are really good, but I, I don't really need to ever talk to that person again, um, or they are... Really, really good, fantastic, and I wish that person was my neighbor. And uh, John was one of those guys that I just felt like I connected with, and I thought we had a re- really great conversation. And I, I wish he was my neighbor.
1: <laughs> he, he's a very smart, uh, entertaining fella. And uh, he had a lot of nice things to say about you.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's very engaging, and uh, had had a great talk with him. But the funny thing is, is you know, you reached out. You're you're obviously managing um, John, and I'm doing another interview this week with uh, another one of your clients. How long right. have you been in the management game?
1: Um, officially, probably about four or five years. Okay. Maybe.
2: And are you mostly? Um, managing comics or are you doing actors and the whole bit
1: i'm i'm mostly managing I, i'm keeping it very small for right now mm-hmm. um, uh, until until somebody really starts working you know <laughs> uh, but but uh right now uh, I'm, I'm i'm just managing a, a couple of comics
2: great because that
1: was kind of my background years ago uh-huh. i was familiar with that part of uh i'm familiar with actors too
2: but yeah and that's what I, I wanted to dig in a little bit. I told you before we started recording that I uh, did some internet stalking and I found yes. your old GeoCities page.
1: So, <laughs> so that's I, I enjoy doing internet stalking myself. Yeah. <laughs>
2: that's how you found me, right?
1: Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> but I, I found that and it looks like it looks like you've got a pretty storied career. Tell, tell me where you came oh, from oh, and yeah. how you how you got to where you are today.
1: Well, cut me off if I start rambling, um, but uh, shortly, let, let's just start with shortly after college. Um, I, I, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and I'm back here in New Jersey, mm. but I, uh, I moved out to Los Angeles and I was out there for almost 20 years and I honestly didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that I wanted to be in show business
0: mm.
1: and, and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. I think a lot of people initially move out and think they're going to become actors or become comedians. And then when they usually are not so successful in that area, they turn more towards the business side. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of did the opposite. I said, well, I'll, I'll, i starve to death if I, uh, you know, try just to be an actor. So I'm going to, I'm going to get a regular job in show business, um, not, understanding that there was really no such thing uh-huh. <laughs> um, but um, so the first um 10 years that i was out there i worked in representation okay to a couple of talent agencies i worked at a management company um i had always been interested in comedy and i had tried some stand-up even when i was in college mm-hmm. but um, i just had no self-discipline I, I was getting I would I would go up once and I would get bored with my own material. Yeah. And the next time I would come up, I would have a whole new act, which is probably not the best way of, yeah. of doing it, unless you're gonna do it every single night and, and be consistent. Right. Um uh but anyway, so I, I got into the, the business side. And um this was 1988, 1989. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of the the end of that first big comedy boom of the of the 80s right and um i got a job with a uh, a talent agency that uh, has been gone for years and, and i'll get into that in a second <laughs> But uh even when you talk to some of the older comedians it was kind of legendary um a company called spotlight okay it was s-p-o-t-l-i-t-e and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, Jeff Cesario, yep. great comedian. Mm-hmm. And, and Jeff, who I never met, didn't know, but he Jeff had this wonderful line I read years later where he said, Spotlight was like the Nazi stormtroopers of comedy. <laughs> because they would book comedians into these little towns that didn't even have a comedy show, uh-huh. a, you know, a comedy club. and um, And it was really the history really needs to be written about that place because it was started out by these three guys who, um, wonderful guys, but they were hustlers. They were very, you know, in another generation they would have been snake oil salesmen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and they worked really hard, came along at the right time. Um, I don't think any of them had a college education, mm. uh, but, um, they, uh, they were hustlers. And, and back then, comedy was not, you know, it was becoming a business, but it was not, it was, certainly wasn't respected. I think most of the major talent agencies didn't really see that there was money to be made in comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys kind of took advantage of that. And at one point they were the largest personal appearance agency in the country. Wow. Um, When I started working there in, like I said, that 1988, they were already working with Jay and Jerry and Paul Reiser and uh, Damon Wayans. um, You you know, you name it, Larry Miller. Um, When I got there, um, while i was there they signed jeff foxworthy they signed norm mcdonald um richard jenny was a client um mario cantone they signed while i was there um and uh you know i i don't like name dropping because a lot of those people like jay and jerry they were very successful before i got there yeah so i, <laughs> I had very little to do with them um the um The best experience that I had uh, was with uh, Lenny Clark, um, who at that time had his own television series for a minute and a half. Yeah. And um, I, 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 unfortunately, it it didn't last longer than a minute and a half. But for me, it was a, as an assistant, it was a wonderful education because within a year, within a year of me working there, he went from being a hit at the Montreal Comedy Festival to starring in his own television series for Wit Thomas and CBS and Disney which were, you know, big players at the time. Mm-hmm. And then after 13 weeks the show got canceled and he was back out on the road again. <laughs> so, so, uh, but I I learned a lot um from that experience. And uh And anyway, I was there for about two years, and they actually promoted me to being an agent. And I I, I kid you not, within like two weeks, the company went bankrupt. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, I'm I'm no accountant, but apparently what was going on was um, they were not familiar with the term escrow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> so they, for example, they were the they were the primary booker for all the catch rising star comedy clubs around the country, not just New York, but but all, all over the country. There was hundreds of catch rising stars back then. Well, catch went bankrupt. And Spotlight was uh, taking these large deposits and spending the money as fast as it was coming in and not really <laughs> You know, separating their operational funds from yeah. their, uh, you know, what they were supposed to be holding on to for clients. And um, so that was, uh, again, a very <laughs> valuable experience. <Yeah. laughs> um, and then after that, I went to work for um, uh, these two managers who, again, legendary guys in the world of comedy uh, Rick Bernstein and uh, Howard Lapidus. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick was the uh, guy that was responsible for for those of you that are old enough to remember, he was the guy responsible for booking tiny Tim's wedding on the tonight show.
2: Oh yeah. I I remember. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was a big deal. Once upon a time. Hmm. And, um, and he, in the like seventies and eighties had represented Steve Landisberg and uh, David Brenner and Richard Lewis. And when I was working with them, he had just signed uh, Jeff Dunham. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of funny to me now, because in the 90s, nobody seemed to understand why anyone would want to go see a ventriloquist. Yeah. And uh, 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 um, Rick was constantly trying to explain to people that, you know, Jeff was a comedian who happened to you know, provide his own straight man,
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, but anyway, so uh, I worked with Jeff Dunham and then um, Howard Lapidus, who was representing um, Norm McDonald. That's how I, I mm. got the job, Howard. Um, and he also had uh, Mike McDonald, who was a wonderful Canadian comedian that just unfortunately never quite made it um, big here in the States. And, um, uh, you know, some other people that were writers, uh, Mike Dugan, uh, Pat Bowler is a big executive producer now, and um, I was with them for um, several years. Um, in fact, funny story: at one at one point they actually fired me, and I think like three weeks later the person they hired to replace me walked out of them, and <laughs> <laughs> so they they called me up and they said, "Listen, will you? Uh, we can understand if you want to say no, but uh, we're kind of in a jam." And I came back and stayed for another two years. <laughs> Um, so I, I was there in total about four years. And then I also, um, after that, I spent another two years working at a, uh, a talent agency, um, called Gold Marshak mm-hmm. which, uh, dealt a lot more with, with actors, but we had a couple of standups mm-hmm. and, um, um, <laughs> I, I don't know where that, that's kind of the, the end of that side of my career. Um, and then it was only after that, that I, um, I started taking some acting lessons and I got, I started working as a production assistant. I worked in a lot of game shows and independent movies and, um, did that for another couple of years before I, um, I moved back to New Jersey and I was pretty much out of the business, um, until I met John and, um, decided to become a manager. Mm. No, I, I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but no, that's
2: that that that's great. That that uh, comes around to a great circle, and um, think thinking about uh, what you've seen. Obviously, you've seen a lot of comics. You've seen some actors, and you you've just you, just a myriad of talent. Um, oh, absolutely. While we're live here, I just want to ask you, um, you know what? What do you think uh, the percentage of uh, skill and talent to just plain dumb luck it is for people to make it big?
1: Um, well, I, I think there's a certain percentage of dumb luck. There's also a certain percentage of timing mm-hmm. because I think, there, I think some people just have the right look at the right time um, I mean, like, let's look at the music industry. I don't think Bob Dylan could get a record contract today. No. <laughs> you know, um, Rick Bernstein, um, as I said, was a, a great guy, a wonderful mentor, and he he had this theory that in order to be successful in show business, there were three things. You didn't you didn't need all three of them, but you needed at least two. You needed either brains, talent or balls uh-huh. and if you had you, you needed at least two if you had three you were really you know set uh-huh. but if you needed at least two um I, I i think it's a combination of all those things sometimes i see very talented people that just can't seem to cut a break mm-hmm. and then there are people that <laughs> are less talented and they just are at the right place the right time um some of them are very ambitious and, uh-huh. and uh You know, it, 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 uh, there's, if there was one way of doing it right, we'd all do it the same way.
2: Yeah. You do have to respect the hustle. If they're not quite as good as somebody else, if they do the hustle, um, I, I had a boss tell me many, many years ago, he said, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I I, I always, I always apply that. Um, I'm not the, the best at anything I do, but. I work hard at it and you know that makes things happen, so right, yeah, that, right. that's great. One of the things that I really like about what you talked about is you highlighted that uh, being a star isn't the only thing there is to do in show business.
1: Oh, god, no,
2: and god, and I no. like that. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on? Um, some of the production jobs, writing jobs, uh, all the jobs that are available, uh, to people who are interested in, uh, getting into the show business world.
1: Well, I mean, I, I I think most people are familiar with what they would say, what they would call the, uh, the above the line, which is your, 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 um, writing, Mm -hmm. your acting, your directing, um, you know, your cinemat. well, I guess cinematographers below the line, um, there's, a, there's a lot of people in, um, show business working behind the scenes who are, um, how can I say this, are, are trades people. I mean, but I, when I say trades, I mean, like, like carpenters, you know, guys that are build sets, uh, that, you know, the build sets, um, people that, uh, you know, the, the kind of people I, I, and I, I, I'm sorry if this sounds negative, but but like you know, the kind of people that took shop right. in high school, uh, you know, those kind of trades. Um, there's also accountants. There's all the people that sign all the paychecks and keep track of all the budgets. Um, you know, a lot of of, of those kind of people. And, and, you know, in addition to, you know, lighting and, and grips, and then there's then there's the, the business side. There's publicists. There's agents. There's managers. Um, you know, and even, and, and, and within the agency, there'll be like support staff, a lot of secretaries, mm-hmm. a lot of assistants, um, caterers, lots of folks doing catering and craft services. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I mean, I, as I said, I, I was out in Los Angeles for almost 20 years and Los Angeles is, is, um, such a, a an industry town, um, the only thing that I I think I can possibly compare it to, and I've never really been there, but I imagine in Detroit, anybody who isn't working directly for the automotive industry is related to somebody who is, or is working in a profession that depends on it. Uh, you know, that's um, that's very similar. Well, to,
2: I'm very close to Elkhart yeah. County and uh, okay. th- that's the RV capital of the world. And just really? about every manufacturer in that county is feeding the um, RV industry. If they're not making RVs themselves, they're making something yeah. for them.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so there's yeah, there there's there's uh, obviously a lot of different jobs that people you know work in the entertainment industry that's for sure
2: right and and really the you know somebody who's got the the left brain talent type thing. They're probably not going to take a union position as a, as a grip or set builder or whatever, but uh, there are other things that you can do if you are, if you have any talent at all, even in the writing oh, aspect.
1: And, and not to say that there isn't talent involved in, in, in those uh, areas too. Right. I mean, some, some of the guys that I've known who worked in props, they were very creative guys. Mm you know, you, you can find ways of being creative in things that, you know, are not necessarily acting or not necessarily, you know, in front of the cameras.
2: Yeah. There's a, there somebody, I was uh, listening to an interview with somebody and they they were talking about a series that they did and it always had, I wish I could remember they they always had weird stuff going on. And, uh, she said that the, um, she always had to hand it to the people who did the props because they, they could make something out of nothing and whatever you asked for, it happened.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then even, and even with, with acting too, um, I would say that the vast majority of uh, performers that I worked with um, as an actor and also from a representation standpoint were character actors Mm -hmm. You know, not necessarily the the A-list stars, but people, uh, you know, kind of on their way up, kind of on their way down, or people that just worked all the time that uh, you'd recognize from, you know, this or that, but um, not necessarily the the biggest of names. Right. And and those were the people that I enjoyed working with the most. And they they uh, usually were the most down-to-earth people. Yeah. Lenny Clark Sorry. that you
2: mentioned has had a, he, he's he's had a pretty good career doing the um those type of character parts after after his series. I mean, I think he's been working pretty steady for a while.
1: Oh oh my God, well, absolutely, absolutely. lenny, um I, I, I think I think I mean, of course, I haven't talked to him in many, many years, but he he was such a uh, important figure in that whole Boston comedy scene. And he gave a lot of those guys like Dennis Leary, for example, their, you know, their start in the business when they, when those guys were started out and they didn't forget about it. And that's why, you know, you, you, you I think Lenny was on that uh, rescue me show with uh-huh. Dennis yeah. and uh, every time they film something in Boston, you know, they usually find a part for him. Um, but, oh yeah, no, he's, he's actually carved out quite a career for himself Um as i mentioned earlier to you know go from th- the highs and the lows that he did in that short period of time but yeah he's he's really carved out uh, some steady work for himself and he's still in demand in the clubs and right right you know, no doubt especially in that area
2: when you were working for the different agencies and you were looking for talent or talent was coming to you uh, i mean I mean, you were just right there in the heyday when, you know, they were just falling off the trees. What, what did you look for as far as a comic was concerned? What, what type of traits did you look for in a comic and you thought maybe they could do it?
1: They were looking for somebody that already had a persona that they could build a show around. Um, And a lot, so a lot of it was, a lot of it was the look and, and what, what went with the, the with the humor but I think you know basically it's, it was a lot of it was was the look and if and if they they could already um, like they were already presenting a clear persona mm. you know, I, um... and, 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 I, and I think the you know and it's funny too uh, um, a lot of the people that I worked with they And sometimes they miss, sometimes they completely miss, but they, it was, you know, how can I sell this person? And, you know, it's funny how much the world has changed, but I can remember, you know, back then, um, here, I'll give you a couple of examples, um, Janine Garofalo,
3: Mm.
1: everybody thought she was hilarious. Nobody could figure out what to do with her. And they were wrong. You know,
2: you know uh, what she did on the Larry Sanders show. I mean, she was just, she was a genius on that show.
1: Oh yeah. Well, but but that's just it. It it sometimes, sometimes it takes somebody with a vision to, you know, some, some, some comedians are more obvious and I'm not, I'm not putting anybody down, but, but some comedians have that established persona and, you know, right for the minute they get on stage, where you're going with it Mm -hmm. and other people uh, aren't as established and it takes somebody with a little bit of vision to say okay this is what we can do with this person and And i think and janine especially
2: i I think was tough because she had a point of view um and it wasn't necessarily a point of view of uh Middle America, and uh, right. she also—I mean, she was short and everything else. I mean, she just didn't have that look of the Heather Locklear type look that would uh, well, translate and, to and nor,
1: TV. Or, nor was she extremely—I don't want to say ugly, but she wasn't. She wasn't extreme on the other end. Yeah, right. Um, you know, it, it always—it always seemed to like, generally speaking. Generally speaking, the people were either very good-looking or they were funny mm-hmm. and, and sometimes people who were very good looking didn't necessarily have a personality but if you found somebody who was good looking and had a personality somebody who was good looking and could tell a joke well then you had gold
2: yeah you know it's funny i just uh listened to a podcast uh with anthony jeselnik and um yeah. you know it one of the things I'm pretty sure you look for in, in somebody who's going to be on TV is they have to be somewhat of a sympathetic character. He, he, there has to be some likability there. And oh,
1: uh, <laughs> you, hear, you hear that all the time. Likeability is very popular.
2: Yeah. And, uh, Jeselnik was, uh, was talking in the interview and, and, um, uh, the guy that was interviewing him said, you know, you're, you're a good looking guy. Why don't you uh, get into TV? And, and he said, uh, well, first, they wouldn't take me. And second, I never, ever want to be on t- on TV other than doing my act. And uh, so, you know, it's funny. He's, you know, all his um, dropping baby jokes and stuff like that, um, he can yeah. keep that up because that's who he is, and he's right. not ever going to be a TV guy.
1: Well, th- th- that just reminds me of the uh, – there was a great uh, routine that uh, Don Moreira used to have where he would say, how <laughs> – People would come up to them after a, a set and they'd say, Hey, have you ever thought about being on television? <laughs> hey, no, no. I enjoy you know playing before three drunks at two o'clock in the morning. No, really? I should be on television? Thanks for the advice. <laughs> so, yes. So
2: did you uh, run across anybody there in the heyday that you just really thought were going to be it and it just didn't happen? Oh,
1: Oh, tons of people. Tons. I mean, you know, look, look at look at Lenny. Mm. Lenny had, uh, and I he said, he, he's had a great career since that show. But he had everybody pushing for him. You know, he, CBS was looking for uh, at that time the, the male Roseanne. Mm-hmm. They were looking for the next Jackie Gleason, and um, they you know, really went all out. Um, You know, he had Whit Thomas. He had the the best writers in television and nothing against Lenny, but, you know, he was up against Wonder Years. He was up against, I forget what else else was on television opposite him at the time. But, you know, sometimes you you can have the the best people working with you and it just doesn't happen. Um, I also mentioned uh, Mike McDonald, who was a huge star in Canada, mm-hmm. you know, you had three showtime specials and people, some people love, you know, comedians, some people loved Mike. Um, I think I, going back to likability, I heard a lot of people say that they didn't like Mike. I mean, I, like not as a person, but his persona mm-hmm. um, because he was kind of dark and, and, and that attracted some people but he, I don't know his, his, his comedy never really translated as big as it should have been um yeah I, but, but then again that's that's just one of those odd factors that you, you you can't put a finger on
2: yeah and it's weird because you know then you really had uh, the three networks uh, well, by the late eighties, four networks and, yeah. and the, uh, Showtime and HBO. I mean, those were the big and things and, much, yeah. and Showtime and HBO weren't really big into putting series together. They were doing the, the comedy shows, but they right. weren't putting right. series together. So you had to have a really broad appeal to get something through. I mean, it,
1: oh, absolutely. like you said, there was three or four networks and that was it. Yeah. It was,
2: and now you can be kind of a niche type uh, player and yep. uh, you can have these weird, you know, I was watching this weird show on, uh, I don't remember what network it is called Legion. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's just out there. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of that, some of the, I mean, I enjoy a lot of the, the uh, adult swim shows yeah. on the Cartoon network, but a lot of them are very out
2: there. Yeah. And the thing is, you can make a living at it, but you're never going to have the the riches. You're, you're not going to have the money that they were getting back then doing. Oh no, that type no, of even stuff.
1: even 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 the people who work at the networks. Like I, I, I don't know how it is today, but even well into the nineties, um, when when Fox started out, and again the late eighties, they cut some kind of a deal with um, uh, the FCC, where they were considered a, the, what the nickname was, they would call it a weblet, that it was a, a mini network.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And even well into the 90s, by that point, they were having, you know, The Simpsons and married with children. Um, those people, if you got a, uh, were on a Fox show, those people were not required to be, By the unions. The unions cut them all kinds of breaks, too. They weren't getting paid. You know, they were being paid a fraction of what scale minimum was (laughs) for, you know, if you were on NBC or CBS or ABC. Yeah. Uh, And and, which, you know, was great when they were trying to encourage Fox. But as I said, by the 90s, they they had some serious hits. And um, I don't know how it is now, but they were they were kind of getting away with murder, which is why you've heard so many stories about, you know, the uh, the Simpsons and, and you know uh, those those people striking for more money and,
2: yeah in i think crazy. in leaving the guys on the wayans guys on in living color i think they got screwed
1: big time oh they probably did yeah. i'm 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 sure that they did that's that's another example that show was so popular back then and uh yeah i know i'm sure i'm sure they if they had been on nbc they would have been making a ton more money
2: yeah yeah that's it's it's just it's funny how things have changed but uh, the bottom line is they want somebody to do it as cheaply as possible and still get the audience and make the money. So you,
1: well you know. you know what I, I think I think uh, they've always wanted that and it just seems like I don't know there, there used to be some kind of a I don't want to say a minimum but it, but, but that seems to be more the norm now. Not so, and I think not just in show business, I think in, in other businesses as well, it's not about how can we be more innovative or how can we attract better talent? Just how can we do something cheaper? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I see that, like I said, even in businesses outside of show business where it's just, you know, it's, it's really all about the bottom line and not about making any kind of improvements.
2: Right. Exactly. And that's why we have so many remakes these
1: days. <laughs> oh, well, well, now, that they're too, they're so afraid of taking a chance and coming up with something new. Mm-hmm. And they think that, well, if we make a movie out of an old television series or a remake, we're going to have a built-in audience. We're going to attract people who remember the original movie who are curious and want to see the remake yep. people remember the old television soap and want to see it as a, a movie um yeah there's there's like there's so little originality of where it's pathetic
2: mm-hmm. so tell me you were you were kind of resting there in jersey and you came across uh john what what was it about john that made you want to get back into management
1: well, um, from a personal level, um, I just wanted to get back into show business. Mm-hmm. Um, had, you know, I when I moved back to New Jersey, I said that I didn't want anything to do with show business anymore, which was fine, except I realized that I'd spent 20 years in show business and I didn't know how to do anything else. <laughs> um, and, you know, there, there, it's, it, it can be fun sometimes. So I kind of I kind of miss that excitement. Um, when I saw, uh, John the first time, uh, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I saw John perform in this, um, club, but it wasn't, well, it wasn't really even a club. It was, there was a, there was an improv show that I was actually in mm-hmm. and I had a couple of comedians opening up and most of the other comedians didn't seem to have an act. They brought their friends, um, they, you know, were just playing to their friends. And John was the only guy who got up who seemed like he'd been on stage before mm-hmm. that actually had prepared material. Um, and uh, again, going back to what we were saying earlier, I really like John's look. I just said, you know, I could picture this guy w- on a series. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I thought to myself, well, you know, if I was ever going to get into, uh, management that, uh, this is somebody that I, I think I could do something with.
2: And you're kind of learning, um, how things have changed and how they've stayed the same by, uh, taking him on, I bet.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Some things have not changed. Uh, a lot, a lot has changed. Um, you know the, the the whole social media has changed things. The whole bu- the business has changed. Um, but you know you know what's really funny is how even though even though the names have changed, you know the, the, the people in front of the camera have changed and the the formats have changed. If if you know anything about the business, you realize that the people behind the scenes, the agents, the managers, the producers some of these people have just been around for years and yeah. years and years. And, uh, you know, the people that were, were running networks in the eighties, they're still there. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and again, you wonder why the, 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 quality of things are so bad. It's because nobody wants to come up with anything original and it's, it's the same people behind the scenes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Some man, some of the stuff I see on TV, the sitcoms are just so bad. I, I, and, yeah. and and they're good people. It's people I like, and right. they're just—it's just terrible stuff. And you know what? If I was in their place, I would do that shit and get paid. You know?
1: <laughs> oh, so so would I. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't. I don't. I don't blame uh, people. But you know, and it's funny. I've been watching a lot of, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've been watching a lot of classic television. Yeah. And it's funny how even the stuff that I didn't like when I was a kid, now I have a greater appreciation of because it's as bad as it was, it's so much better than what's out there now. Yeah. And, and when you, and when I think now too, I'm looking at things from a different perspective and you, you, you see even in the dumbest shows of other eras, you can still see where, you know, people had talent where people still had timing and there's still a, there's still a way of presenting stuff that it's still hard work. Yeah. You know, even, even the dumbest shows from 20 or 30 years ago are so much better than the stuff that's out there now. Mm -hmm. Well, the funny
2: thing is, is the old stuff. I, the, the only way I can say it is they did a lot of cliche stuff, but they knew it. Um, and now it feels like they're doing cliche stuff and they are not self-aware enough to know that they're doing that.
1: That, that's interesting. I'll agree with that. I never thought about it that way, but I'll agree with
2: that. Yeah. And, uh, I, I caught one after it was done that uh, totally blew me away. Uh, Baskets with uh, Galifianakis. Oh yeah, I mean,
1: I've never seen the show. I've heard really good things about
2: it. it it's totally worth it just to watch Louis Anderson play Zach's mom. Uh, they say
1: that I, I've i I've, I've seen clips of it. I mean, yeah, I've heard he's really really good of
2: that. And the fact that uh, you know she played Christine Baskets. She I mean or he. he I mean, yeah. he played it straight, and right. and, and good comedy—you play the stuff straight. You're not, you, you don't know you're doing a comedy in your head. Yes. And yes. man, it was it was like Oscar worthy acting. I felt.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Will Ferrell, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think what makes Will Ferrell great, even you know, Saturday Night Live movies. You can give Will Farrell the most ridiculous scenario. Uh, you know he can be the worst person in the world. That you know the character could be horrible, and he just stays so committed. Yep. And and, and he just you know if he's going to be this awful person, well he's going to be the best at being that awful person that you can possibly imagine. Yeah. <laughs> does you know? There's no there's no um, you know side wings to the camera. There's no, you know, I'm in on this joke. Oh no, he is just committed and yep. he just goes for broke, and that, that's that's why I love him. I think he's he's so good at playing the most ridiculous characters completely straight.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's great seeing him work, and it, it can be the worst movie in the world, and I'll still watch him. Right, I, I'm him and Alan Arkin for some reason. I'll watch anything oh, Alan, Alan Arkin. <laughs> actor.
1: Alan Arkin is a wonderful actor please. He's a genius. Yeah.
2: He's, 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 he's one of, one of my favorites. Ever since, uh, Oh, what, what was the one he did with Peter Falk? Uh oh,
1: the in-laws. Uh, yeah. Is, is that the one where they, where they were, it was a, a dictator, like in some foreign country. Um, actually
2: Peter Falk was a CIA guy and Alan Ark their kids were getting married and, uh, Alan Arkin was just,
1: the in-laws or something like that. Yeah.
2: The in-laws and the, the serpentine thing. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. But that, I love that movie. They, they remade it. Uh, um, I think they Albert Brooks or somebody remade it. Um, it was not good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, thinking about what you're looking for in a, uh, comic now versus what you're look what you were looking for then, what, what yeah. types of, you know, you, you obviously saw John and, you know, he's, he's good looking, John Stamos type look, and, uh, also smart, funny, uh, and all that. Uh, what, what other types of, um, comics are you looking for to you know add to your uh, arsenal of comics
1: well it's funny I, I i've been approached by a number of people and i uh, again as i said earlier i i'm trying not to represent dozens of people poorly because i don't i don't have the time and i don't want i don't want to um do a disservice to people Mm. I, I want to be able to devote as much time to them as I do with John. Um, but I would say the the, the other thing um, is, and, and this is another deciding factor with John, is I made sure that I had several conversations with him. It wasn't just about, you know, oh, you know, I'm going to make you a star, let me manage you. It was like, okay, is this somebody – you know, cause I, I've, I've worked with some immensely talented people who are not nice people Yeah, <laughs> who are not people that I wanted to spend time with. And I made sure with John and, 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 and there, again, there are other people that have approached me where I've said, you know, there aren't enough hours in the day to deal with some of these people. You know, John, John is a different case. John and I have a great relationship and, uh, you know, he, he's, he's somebody that I want to work with, mm. but there, there's, there's some other people. I don't care how much, how talented they are and what they've got going for them. They're just, they're pains in the neck. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, life is too short. I, I, I want, I want somebody that is dependable. You know, that, that's the other thing too. I've, I've worked with a lot of comedians and actors and, you know, you, you set them up with a meeting, you set them with up with an audition and literally have people not show up. <laughs> You know, be totally, you know, John's a professional and and I, and I, and I love that about him. And if, and if, and if he's at a, a, you know, something is, uh, he's at a club someplace and I'm not there, you know, he, he he can figure it out. He he handles things sometimes better than I do. Mm. And, and and when I'm looking for somebody to represent, I want to make sure that it's somebody that I actually enjoy spending time with.
2: Right, right. So it's it's one of those things that you're at your point in a point of your career now that uh, you're going to know them when you see them.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I, I mean, it's all those factors. Like I said, it's it's what I can do with them. If I think I can help them at all, and and if it's somebody that I want to work with.
2: Mm so say you're a comic and you've been working i don't know five ten years and you're doing pretty good you're you're headlining some decent rooms and stuff like that at what point do you think is a good time to start considering uh getting representation and management
1: well I, i i I think, well, first of all, I think it's hard to say, although I was I was always told that usually people have managers when they're first getting started, or, you know, and they really need somebody to, you know, make some phone calls and, and try to make things happen. Mm-hmm. Or when things are happening so fast and so furious that they need somebody to keep track of all that. Um, you know, I think um, when... When the, when you when you really need somebody to keep track of stuff, and then you just, uh, uh, you know, I, I I think sometimes people, keep, you know, they can get themselves to another level, but then they realize that you know they need some help getting to the next level. It's I think it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say.
2: And obviously, there's. That sounds like you have to have some self-awareness that you're, Hey, I'm, oh. I'm pretty good now, but I need to know what it takes to get better.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I would say a lot of, of, a, a lot of comedians lack self-awareness. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they, they think they're a lot funnier than they are.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and, and, and don't, and aren't realistic at where they are in their careers. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Self. Yes. Yes. I think self-awareness is a very key word there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I bet. I bet you see a lot of that in the New York clubs when you go, don't you?
1: Uh, well, you know, it's funny at, at my age, I try to avoid <laughs> the, the clubs as much as possible, but um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I, I will tell, I'll tell you this one story. Uh, this was an actor. Um, and, I had just gotten this job working at a talent agency and this was the first conversation that I ever had with this person. Okay. Had no idea who he was, his credits hadn't met him. And he calls up the office one day. And of course, immediately, you know, I'm the new kid on the block. So he wants to make friends with me.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And he, <laughs> he starts off the conversation with, um, there was, a, there was a project in HBO that he was trying to get in on uh, about the Tuskegee Airmen. And he started off the conversation with me by saying, you know, um, I'm very good friends with uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner and um, oh, I can't think of the other guy's name um, um, from a different world. Uh-huh. Uh, Gideon Martison. And he said, he said, you know, my good friends, Malcolm Jamal Warner and Kadeem Hardison have been in on this project. How come I haven't been in on it? <laughs> this, was, this was my first conversation with him. And all I could think of at the time was, well, I know who those people are. I don't know who you are.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Malcolm Jamal Warner and Kadeem Hardison had starred on two, hit, you know, they each starred on a, a hit NBC sitcom, for several years,
0: uh-huh.
1: they, were, they were, at that point, they were big names. <laughs> and I just, I, you know, I, I'm not commenting on, you know, whether this, not this guy was a, a good actor, but you're you are seriously asking me how come you're not up for this part that Malcolm Jamal Warner's up for? <laughs> you know, I, it, you know yeah, it would help if you were a little bit more self-aware. Yeah. Well, but, he. So had, I think I, 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 like I said that was an acting thing, but I think it's the same thing with comics. Some comedians just, you know, yeah, they, they they think they're a lot bigger than what they are.
2: And he really he made two mistakes there. He did the uh he thought he was bigger than he was, and then he did the name dropping too.
1: <laughs> oh well, yeah, well, listen, this this was this was a um, a, a, a a client who uh, over over a period of time. I, I came to like, um, but, but yeah, he, he definitely, I can I could go on about other examples where he just didn't understand yeah. where his career was at that point in time. But he was, uh, he was actually, he was actually a nice guy once you got
2: to. Well, and, and that's, that's something that I always have to remind myself cause I'm, you know, 56 and I have to remember <laughs> that, um, when I was young and full of myself and right. And yes. you know the ego was just—it was much bigger than I was—and and, yes. and under, understanding that you know kids have that, and and yeah. and they sometimes they're you know rough around the edges and just need a little honing and all that kind of stuff. But and
1: sometimes uh, that's good. Sometimes you need that kind of an ego to walk into places where, if you realize later on what you were doing, yep. you, you know, when you get older, I think you get a little more intimidated.
2: Yep. Yep. And they they also need the the real talk of uh, hey you're not ready um hey you're being stupid you know this that 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 type of thing and some people are going to take that and learn from it and some people are just uh, never going to get to self awareness and just stay where they are where they're at as
1: as as a, as a manager or as an agent um, I, I've that's a, that's a slippery slope I have seen people you know who've needed that conversation. And like you said, some take to it and, and some do not. So it, uh, yeah, unfortunately that, that I've, I've seen that, I've seen that conversation happen many, many times. Yeah. You know.
2: Yeah. So thinking about, you know, what, what I've gleaned from this so far is y- you look for people that have talent. Um, they've got some likability. Um, they're not dog ugly, And, um, uh, you, you make a personal connection. You like them a little bit. What other things make for somebody who is attractive to management?
1: Well, (laughs) if they already have a job, that would make them attractive. Uh (laughs) You know, and I, I, I mean, I'm saying that flippantly, but it's like, um, it's it's like you know in, in those Susie Ormond books where Susie will tell you how you can be a millionaire tomorrow. Well, first you have to get a million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times with 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 John, where I've called up different agents, different networks, and some of them have actually said to me, "Well, you know, when he gets a movie, call me." <laughs> When he's starring in his own television series, oh, then we'll be interested. And, um, you know, it, 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 I mean, it, it's insulting, but yeah. I also understand where they're coming from. Um, and it's frustrating. But, uh, but you know, it, <laughs> I, I, I'll give you another, I'll tell you another funny story. There was this um, years ago, years ago, uh, the agency that I worked for at the time, they went to see a um, uh, a sketch show, a live sketch show that was performing in Los Angeles at the time. And uh, they all went to see um, this one actor, um, Gary uh, Kroger, who had already been on Saturday Night Live. And, Gar- Gar- and, he, and, and Gary Kroger was, you know, looking for representation. Yeah. And uh, after everybody saw the show, they all – uh, came back and they said, Oh yeah, Gary's, you know, Gary's funny. Gary's all right. But this other guy, in the show, Oh, this other guy is so talented and everybody raved about this other guy. So he came in for a meeting and, uh, again, everybody liked him, but there was kind of no rush to sign him. Mm -hmm. There was nothing, there was nothing, there was no sense of urgency. And, uh, him and I became friends because he was calling to follow up and, and he was very nice. He wasn't, he wasn't pushy at all, but this went on for a couple of weeks. He would, you know, call every couple of days and, you know, how's it going and, and and him and I got to be good phone friends. And uh, this was in the, <laughs> the old days where you would, um, you would, you would write down a message you know, on a piece of paper with people's phone numbers and those old books that uh-huh. there'd be you know, like a, a duplicate copy of. And my boss at the time, I don't know how many messages I had given him from this guy, Tom. And, you know, after four or five messages, I just said, hey, Tom called again. I didn't bother writing down the, num- the, the phone number. Well, one day... Tom calls up and he says, hey, listen, I know you probably haven't heard anything, but I'm doing a guest spot this week on Roseanne. And this was a guest spot. This wasn't even like a movie or a series regular, but Roseanne was the hottest show on television at the time. Mm. I told my boss and he went ballistic because I didn't write down uh, Tom's phone number. (laughs) I had given him the phone number. I don't know how many times before that. Now, of course, I had to scramble to look for it. But you know, and that was like I said, that was just a guest spot. But <laughs> it, it's amazing how once you have something, you know, once you actually have a job, people, they'll just come crawling out of the woodwork.
2: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> people <laughs> wouldn't return your phone call the week before. Now, all of a sudden, want to take you to lunch.
2: <laughs> oh man, that wasn't Tom Arnold, was it?
1: No, no, it was a great guy by the name of uh, uh, Tom Virtue. Okay. Uh, if you're looking him up, he was, I know he he was, uh, he, Tom's just been in a ton of stuff. He he, he was on, he was on, um, oh, I can't think of the name of the show. What was, uh, Malcolm in the Middle. He was on okay. Malcolm in the Middle. And, and he, he works all the time. Uh, great guy. Um, you'd know him if you saw him, but, uh, you know, it's just. it's it's funny they they just come crawling out of the woodworks when yeah
2: we have a job so somebody you know you know say i'm a comic and um i'm doing okay i'm not quite ready for any kind of representation yet what tips would you give somebody like me um or any comic, I, I, I'm not ready for that kind of stuff yet, but any comic, what what tips would you give to, um, um, first of all, not get screwed. Um, second well, off...
1: Well, uh, <laughs> you know what? Accept that you will get screwed. Yeah, <laughs> And hope that you won't get screwed that badly. And when you get screwed, learn so it doesn't happen to you again. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think everybody gets screwed when you start out. Um uh I'm sorry, I cut you off there.
2: That's all right. I I, I, I lost I lost my thought. But what, what things what things uh do they need d- does somebody need to do to um uh you know, I remembered the one like network, you know, what, what, what types of things are important for somebody to do if they want to take themselves another step further?
1: Well, I, I, I know it, it sounds kind of obvious, uh, but you'd be surprised how a lot of people miss this. Just be a nice person. Uh-huh. Just, be, just be professional. Be somebody that they want to bring back. Um, you know, that, that, that they... I, I, again, I see a lot of people, uh, like, again, with actors, and you wonder, how do they keep working when they're not particularly talented, like they're okay, but they're not particularly great actors. Well, a lot of times it's just because they're pleasant to people. Yeah. You, you know, that there's some, you know, if you're on a set 12 hours a day, you want to be working with people that you enjoy being with and not people that are pain in the ass.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and I, and I think, I think going back to people, not being, uh, self-aware, um, I, I think that's something you should keep in mind, be professional, you know, show up on time when, 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 when you get the light that says your time is up, wrap it up. You know, mm. I know a lot of club owners will go ballistic if you go over your time and uh, you know, um, I think, I think that has a lot to do with it. Mm. I, I you know um, I mean, I'm sure there's other things too, but you know, be, be professional, be somebody that, that people want to work with.
2: Mm-hmm. Now you, you mentioned this a little bit. We touched on it when we first started talking uh, about social media. Uh, yes. Social media is uh, in, in the comedian world, uh, almost all consuming. You, you pretty much have to do it. Um yeah. Nowadays, absolutely. Yeah, and thinking about how long it's been around, and how long some of these people have been on social media, and yeah. the um, somewhat cancel culture we've got going on right now, right. Um, yeah. how do you, how do you police yourself um, and make sure that what people look at, what your potential employer looks at, is yeah. something that they want to see?
1: Um. I, I think that's a that's a great question, and I don't know if any of us really have the answer for it, um, because, like you said, it is becoming a, a cancel culture, and things have been changing so rapidly. Things that were okay to do a couple of years ago, as, as we've seen, even with some huge names in the business, suddenly things aren't um, okay to make fun of anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't think there's an easy answer. I, I, honest, I honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly not sure what it is. And, and the rules seem to be changing every day now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I,
2: you
1: know,
2: yeah. And yeah, I don't know what the answer is. And, you know, I have to say that, um, things that were okay, like, you know, making fun of, you know, um. Trans people and stuff like that. that um, it was never really okay, but they they didn't have big, a big enough voice to right. defend themselves. So,
1: and I, and I and I think and I think again because of social media. Not not only did they not have a big enough voice, but now because of social media, uh, um, like years ago, if you did a joke on stage in a club in, you know, wherever, outside of the New York and Los Angeles area, you might be able to get away with it because nobody would ever hear of it. Now hmm. everyone's got a cell phone. Oh yeah. Everyone's got, got social media. So it's, a, it's a combination of, you know, certain groups having more of a voice, which is great. Um, and also, you know, things that you could get away with in a smaller environment years ago, you you can't get away with them now because everything becomes a national story.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. I, it's just, it's tough because it's so unforgiving, you know, just to, yeah. Paraphrase: If you if you live by the social media, you die by the social media. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's it's uh, you know, double edged sword, all the cliche stuff, but it's it's just very um, it's a tightrope that you're walking. And I yeah, watch absolutely. a lot of comics who are, you know, they're right on the edge, and yeah. I know they're not being careful, and I know that that stuff yeah. is forever. Just like your Geo yeah. Cities play page, it's forever.
1: Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> We didn't know that it would be forever back then, but yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And I'm very, very glad that there were no cell phone cameras around when I was 18.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh my god, yes, me too, absolutely. Uh, but but the only the, the in, in, in consolation, the other side of the coin is that yeah, <laughs> um, there's always another scandal coming along. Mm. And, and, And uh, America kind of loves a comeback. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you should deliberately go out to offend people. (laughs) But if something happens, um, you know, take some solace in that, that, you know, in a couple of weeks, things will blow over.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and, you know, what I've noticed too, and and I I don't know if this is a good thing or this is a bad thing, but it it, it seems like, um, if on the business side, if you have made money for people, somehow you get forgiven Mm -hmm. there. You should look up, uh, you should look up. There was a wonderful article in, um, variety within the past couple of days, within like the past week. And the headline was, why is Mel Gibson still working? (laughs) And they, they went into the whole, you know, analysis uh, of, of why Mel Gibson still has a career. And, um, you know, uh, uh, we, we have seen some people come back from, uh, some of these uh, situations and and some people have not um and again there there's i mean i know there's there's um uh what do they call them crisis management you know <laughs> pr types yeah. who are much smarter than i am get paid a lot more money than i do um but there's not really an easy answer
2: yeah and <laughs> you know? i think on mel's thing it's just a supply and demand thing there are still people who want to watch him and yeah and it's well, just what
1: the what this article said, and I'm just you know I'm paraphrasing, but it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. That one of the things they brought up was they said when Mel Gibson shows up for work, he's the hardest working guy on set. Mm. That Mel Gibson, you know, you 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 can disagree with his his politics, and you you can you you know he may be a horrible horrible human being but he's a professional when he shows up and, and, the other part too, they said was that, um, and again, you see this with some other, uh, actors and, and comedians as well. They sort of have cultivated this bad boy image, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and some people kind of tolerate it. Um, you know, and 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 then there are people who Mel Gibson, you know, Mel Gibson made a lot of money. He made he made a lot of you know money for other people. And he started, you know, how many hit films? And a lot of those people are still willing to look the other way because, you know, Mel, you know, bought their second house, mm-hmm. you know,
2: and everybody I mean, that's on that movie with them, um, they've got uh, a rent or mortgage, and they've got uh, kids and stuff like that. And I, yeah. I, I think giving them shit because they're doing a movie is probably the wrong thing to do.
1: Right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's it is uh, definitely a, a crazy time that we live in. Um, and I and I hate and I hate to tell people to. Um, you know, censor themselves or restrict themselves because that's not fair to art either. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, things, things do have a way of coming back to haunt people as, as we've seen so much in the news lately.
2: Right. I'm, I'm a little bit, um, I'm glad that uh the, the, as far as comedy is concerned, the, the clean comedies making a comeback. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's really neat to see, because I've, um, you know, we always had Gaffigan, but uh, I saw Nate Bargetsy twice, uh, once last year and once early this year. And, yeah. you know, I watch the crowd that comes in to see him, and it's right. one of the most diverse crowds you'd ever see. Um, yeah, Everybody from people my age all the way down to kids, there's hippies, there's freaks, right. there's uh, military people. I mean, it's just everybody's there and he makes them all laugh equally. And uh, it's it's nice to see that type of a comeback because we were, I mean, we were really going the other way for a long time just to right. see how much we could offend people and um, who, who could be the dirtiest one out there.
1: Well, but even, even, even that too... I mean listen I like all different kinds of comedy. Oh me too. And if you're if you're you know if you're going to be dirty that's fine but you need to be smart too. Mm. And that you know people people focus on you know guys like you know Richard Pryor and you know Lenny Bruce oh they were so cutting edge but those guys were smart. They weren't just you know using words indiscriminately. Right you know there 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 was there was some intelligence going on there
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I, I, I would say though too kind of like what you're saying you know it's it's wonderful if you can be cutting edge and and, and controversial but man, if you can attract a diverse audience that's you know um, that's that's really where it's at
2: right. I just watched the Seinfeld special, the last one he did, and I think he said shit twice, and he said goddamn once. Um, But they were very well-placed. And uh, that was the words that needed to be said in that particular bit at that time. And And
1: I I think with the language, you know, those words, again, Lenny Bruce had a whole routine about this. If you just overuse those words, they lose their power. Yep. And, 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 you know, there's thousands of words. It's, it's okay to sprinkle them in, but, but when you, when you're using them all the time, you're, 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 um, you're losing the power that they have, you know, to be able to use them when you want to. Mm. Can, can I, 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 I'll tell you a, a personal story. Um, when I, at one point, um, when I was living in Los Angeles, I, I, you know, been living out there for a couple of years. Um, my mother begged me to write something for this, like, high school alumni newsletter. And I didn't know what to write, and I, and I didn't want to do it at all. Um, but I, I wrote this thing, and I, I put in a few jokes. I made it entertaining, uh, as opposed to the usual dry, boring kind of articles mm. that those things have. And um, as a writer, I was so pleasantly surprised at the reaction that I got from my friends, from my parents' friends, and uh, you know, again, diverse age groups, and 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 that was really like you know I, I you know I, I've done things. Maybe not in that context, but I've, I've done outrageous things in my life to get attention. I'm sure mm-hmm. we all have. Um, but but to do something like that, it was so fulfilling to me to be able to appeal to a wide audience. And I, I think you know, I think Seinfeld has kind of said that kind of stuff too. Yeah, you know, he's he's a perfect example.
2: Yeah, he's very and. Uh... I, I don't know if you listened to the interview he did uh, with Mark Maron on the WTF podcast, but uh, yeah, no, no, I did. But I bet
1: that would have been good. Uh,
2: I, I recommend listening to it. It's uh, uh, it's a very frustrating for me because um, Mark and I are very much alike, um, and mm-hmm. Jerry is not like either one of us. And I feel <laughs> like Mark wanted to get things out of Jerry that he wasn't going to say. So he spent way too much time doing that and not talking about what he wants to talk about. So, but, uh, uh, understanding the fact that, uh, his parents weren't really involved in his life and he pretty much had to raise himself, uh, uh, taught me some things about him. But, uh, I also feel like he, um, he doesn't want to be part of the fray. Um, he, he, and that's not saying he thinks he's better than anybody. He wants to be his own person and he wants to be oh, his own. You mean
1: Jerry, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's
1: well, well, I, I, I can tell you from, you know, not that I knew Jerry well, but from my experience, my limited experiences with uh, Jerry, and this is going back to right before side before the, the television series mm. um if you'll remember Jerry had been on Benson he was like a re- recurring role on Benson and uh,
2: he got fired from Benson didn't he yeah yeah
1: yeah and and, and I know a- 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 at the time we were getting all kinds of um, auditions for Jerry and all everybody wanted even you know this is 1990. Everybody wanted to meet Jerry. All the networks wanted to do some dopey sitcom with him. Well, first off, Jerry was already on the road like 40 weeks out of the year. He was making probably 10, 12 grand a night. So it wasn't like he was sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was was on the road. He was doing what he enjoyed doing. But the, um, the word that we always got back from his managers was you know jerry wants to do it on his own and it's kind of like what you're saying about about it not being part of the fray he wasn't willing you know he could have had a, a hundred sitcoms come and go before mm-hmm. and he waited until somebody said okay you can do whatever you want yeah you want you that bad. We're not going to try to pigeonhole you into some stupid sitcom. Yeah. Here, here's a half an hour. Do whatever you want.
2: Uh the I the one thing I got, I got out of the right. interview with Mark was that um Mitsi Shora was the one that really got him going, uh, because she said that uh he had no talent and he could never never do her room. And <laughs>
1: Wow. Well, well, but you know what, though? And again, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say this because I didn't know Mitzi that well. But the um, from what I remember, the 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 the, the rep uh, on the, the, you know, the rap of the comedy store at the time was the people who were successful in the comedy store. Um, you know, the people that Mitzi liked tended to be, you know, the Jim Carrey's. The Robin Williams,
2: Yeah.
3: the
1: guys who were, you know, more physical or more, um, sort of, I don't want to say stereotypes, but more, you know, the impressionist like that mm-hmm. Jerry's that. So yeah. I could, I could see where Mitzi and Jerry probably didn't get along anyway.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He said they were like oil and water. So that, yeah, that...
1: yeah. I could, I, I I could, I could see that.
2: Yeah. yeah. That was telling. Um, so one of the things, you, you obviously um, had a, a love and a want to get in the show business. Can you tell me some, some things um, that inspired you? I mean, did you did you have particular comics that you like, particular actors that you like that really said, hey, I want to do something like this. I want to be in this business?
1: Uh, well, when I was, believe it or not, when I was very young, I watched a lot of old movies. Um, I, I think it's safe to say, that by the time I was in fifth grade, I was probably the only um, kid in my class that had a Jimmy Cagney t-shirt. Uh. <laughs> I, I, I loved, I loved Jimmy Cagney. Um, I love John Garfield, but I didn't get into him till later on. Um, I always loved those kind of like film noir uh, kind of uh, movies. Um, and that kind of always seared me in that direction of show business. Mm. Uh, I also, but I also loved the the, the talk shows. I loved you know Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas, and you know eventually I was able to stay up late enough to see Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. with they were traveling these wonderful actors, who you know, had, you know, it, it had been in movies that I had never seen, but always seemed to have these great stories about something that happened to them on the set, and uh, and and then I also watched a lot of I watched a lot of game shows. Uh, growing up like Match Game, mm-hmm. and I thought, boy, those people look like they're having a hell of a good time.
2: I love Match Game.
1: How, how do I get? How do I get a job <laughs> like that, where I'm just like hanging out with my friends all day long and being silly? Yeah, and and and, and all of those things kind of drew me to show business.
2: That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Remember the uh, Match Game Hollywood Squares hour.
1: You know, I've been watching it lately, but I truly don't remember it. I've I've seen it a lot in the last couple of weeks. Uh, It's appalling. (laughs) I don't don't know what they were thinking when they tried to put those two shows together. Um, You know, because I I like them both. I like them both individually. uh, But but I don't, honest to goodness, I don't remember that. You know, the, the first time I saw the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour was maybe a couple of months ago.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I went
1: to my wife. I'm like, I don't remember.
2: It was <laughs> it, it was awful.
1: Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the best thing about it was the set when they changed sets.
2: Mm-hmm. I love yep.
1: that when they go from the, the six celebrities to the nine celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> You know when when the uh, when the set is getting more applause than the celebrities. Oh
2: you know? man! And they they were proud of that. They thought they were high tech when they did that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 and, you know, you know, and, you know. It's funny, Joe. I don't know if, if if I've been again. I think as I'm watching a lot of these old television shows, I'm now having more appreciation of certain performers, and on like when the match game, Hollywood squares out. And they do the Hollywood Squares portion. Have you noticed how, like, in the original Hollywood Squares, Peter Marshall would do this. Peter Marshall had a different way of doing it, yep. okay? Where, you know, after the question is over, um, John Bauman has this way of, like, he's got to get in the trivia. You know, what's what's – there was a question the other day, what weighs more, an average surgeon or an average sturgeon fish?
0: Uh-huh.
1: And he like, you know, after after they got the X or they got the O, and everybody applauded. You know, he really was like. Trying to force it. Well, you know, the average surgeon weighs, you know, three hundred and forty-five <laughs> pounds. It was like nobody cares. You, you've got to. You're going to provide that information. You got to do it subtly. But somebody, some producer must have said, "John, you must, you know, give this information." And he just, yeah, you know,
2: it was. It was like it they out. were stretching. They were trying to fill yeah. time.
1: Yeah, you yeah. know. So I, I said a lot of this stuff. I'm noticing now when I watch these shows that I probably didn't notice years ago. Uh huh. Kid, but. Now I pick it up a little
2: more. That's great. Hey, um, I asked this of just about everybody that I interview, and I, I think your answers may be different than some of the uh, comics I talk to. Great. What oh, three things do you wish you would have known when you started that you know now?
1: Oh, wow. That's a good question. That's like a James Lipton question.
2: <laughs> I've got my cards.
1: Oh oh man man what do I wish I had known um well I, I, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm just having a stream I'm just I'm just streaming here you know I, I this may not be in any particular order you I I, 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 I can I can say as an actor as an actor I as, as I mentioned earlier, when I when I moved out to California, I was 22, and I didn't really start trying to pursue an acting career until I was in my 30s. Mm-hmm. And I wish, uh, as an actor, that I had started pursuing that side of the business earlier when I was 22 and probably could still pass for 16 or 17 mm-hmm. instead of, you know, there's this, there's this gap, there's this gap that a lot of actors go through where, you know, if you, if you know, when you, when you're in your early twenties, you can play high school. Okay. But if you haven't made it by, you know, I don't know, 25 or whatever, then there's no parts until you are like 40. Mm-hmm. Until you're old enough, you know, you, you know, it's sort of like everybody's a teenager and then all of a sudden they're a parent. Yeah. And there's kind of there's kind of no in between. I, I wish I had known that and I would have pursued acting sooner mm. uh, when I was younger. Um, um, what else? Um, I wish I wish I had learned to do something else. I mean, I always sort of. Had I, I always one I always knew that I needed a backup plan. But all of my backup plans still involved show business, mm-hmm. which was a mistake. <laughs> I wish, I wish I had learned, you know, how to pick up a hammer and a nail. Yeah, I wish I had learned, you know, how to program a computer or or do something to support myself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where I could be my own boss until. You know, I, I, and, and again, this even goes for people who are working behind the scenes, because a lot of people behind the scenes don't get paid that much money. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if you work on a television production, movie production, you could still be out of work for months, whether you're an actor or a comedian or whatever. I, I wish I had some other skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, what else? Um I don't know. I'm sure there's other things. Um, those are like like two things that come to mind. Well,
2: I'll I'll take um, two. That's that's cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I I I, I wish I, I I mean it was funny. I I I always knew that it was going to be difficult and challenging, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize that. Well, oh here's 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 I'll give you my third one. I'll give you my third one. I didn't realize how much I didn't realize how much the business, how much time changes. You know, I I when I went to college and and I I, stu- I thought I knew how the business worked before I moved to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize that things continued to change, and that you know that that things that applied to the business you know for years and years didn't apply anymore, mm-hmm. and, and you kind of have to learn to change with them.
2: That's good. That's really good. What did you study in school, by the way?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> technically, my degree is in speech and theater. Okay. Um, but it, was, it, it sounds silly now, but at the time, there was speech and theater. And then within speech and theater, we had all these different concentrations like acting, like dance, like um, broadcasting, which was what I studied. And even though we were all in the same department, everybody was kind of a little elitist. And, you know, the broadcasting majors didn't hang out with the theater majors. Mm-hmm. We took some classes together. But uh, every year in the broadcasting department, we would have these, um, like, final projects. And most of them were, well, some of them were, were all, all right. But a lot of them were, were, were terrible because... Nobody thought. Nobody had the, you know, the, the, the forethought to get somebody from the theater department to actually act, <laughs> and they and so you know the acting would be terrible because it would be other broadcasting majors <laughs> trying to do a scene, and and, and it sounds silly now, um, but but we were very you know I mean like I said I had some friends who were were, were theater majors, uh-huh. we were all theater majors, but you know it was uh, so I mean. I I tell people broadcasting, but the degree is speech.
2: That's, that's funny because I see a lot of student films that, uh, I mean, the, the concept is fantastic, but you can tell that they just got their friends to play the parts and not real
1: actors. (laughs) Well, and and I'll give you this other tip. I'll give you another tip. If you're, if you're doing a student, if you're doing any kind of a student film or a low budget film. The, the thing that I always notice on a low budget movie is the two things that you notice the least in any professional film, the lighting and the sound. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, that, that should be the last thing that I should be thinking about. Yeah. But if I'm distracted by poor sound and poor lighting, then sometimes it's hard for me to get past that mm-hmm. to actually watch the the content of the movie i see that all
2: the time yeah that is so funny because i have always i I did a local podcast here for five years before i started this one and i have always been seeking perfection in sound because i have stopped listening to podcasts that i would otherwise like because one i i wear hearing aids and i've got Pretty severe hearing loss to my loss in my right ear, and mm-hmm. I can hear the host fine. I can't hear the guest, or there's two hosts. I can hear one host pretty good. The other one drops off all the time. I I it totally takes me out of the interview, the talk, or whatever when the sound sucks.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh well, you brought you brought up another good point too. As far as with with podcasts, there is. Uh, again you, you, you take this for granted when you're look, listening to professionals but when you're you're dealing with people that aren't quite as experienced when everybody's talking over each other mm-hmm. there's a really there's an art form to that when you've got a couple of guests on or you've got you know a host and a co-host and uh, you know you, you you'd only notice it when it's bad
2: Yeah, and it's very challenging when you do it remote like this because you don't yeah, see oh, the
1: absolutely.
2: the body ticks and cues and stuff like that you don't know quite know when they're done so mm-hmm. uh, that, that's why i always have a lot of silence uh because i want to <laughs> make sure you're done
3: <laughs> right right right
2: uh, but uh yeah it's uh th- those those types of things it, it just totally takes me out of the game and i watched some podcast casters do the whole thing um, on video and they'd stream it live and I tried it a couple times and then I listened to the finished product and it just wasn't, it, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And, uh, you know, I did a few of them that way and, uh, there's too many variables when you're doing video and audio together that just haven't been ironed out yet. Uh, yeah. you know, bandwidth is, bandwidth is still King. And if somebody doesn't have it, then everybody sounds bad. So, right. yeah. Well, I tell you what, Bill, um, it's funny, you were kind of surprised I asked you to be on, but uh, I knew you were going to be good, and you were, so I appreciate you coming on.
1: Thank you. I, I appreciate you having me on.